You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Wanted. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today for another Give Me the Bible program. As we try to make sense of life through God's Word, the Bible. Most of you will have at some stage of your life seen a wanted poster. Sometimes such posters are for missing persons, sometimes for criminals and sometimes for recruits to go into the armed services. Occasionally you might see a wanted poster in a shop window where they're looking for someone to fill a job vacancy. Probably the most well-known wanted poster of all time is of Uncle Sam, Elias the United States government, beckoning to encourage young men to join the U.S. Army. But do you realise that the Bible advertises for people to fill a vacancy too? And we'll look at this idea in two aspects. The first is a call for good people to make a difference in the community. The second is that God wants you. One of the world's most widely read Christian writers, E.G. White, has written, The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. That call reminds me of the statement made by Jesus and is known as the golden rule. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus said, So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. People who treat others right are good people. They're people of integrity, people you would like to have living next door to you. They are the sort of people you'd like to have as your friends, your relatives, your employers or employees. Can you imagine someone placing an advertisement for some new employee that goes something like this? Wanted. Trustworthy, honest, reliable person. Someone who will do what is right at all costs. (laughs) It would be interesting if anyone would respond to an ad like that. But these are the sort of people God wants as his people. People who can be relied upon, people who will not shirk their duty, people who, when placed in situations where they can get away with something, will instead do the right thing. Christians are to be 
those sorts of people. There are times when some so-called Christians have done wrong. The general community condemns them more harshly than when a non-Christian does precisely the same sort of thing. You see, Christians have high ideals to live up to. Coupled to the golden rule is this statement in 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It troubles me as I consider some who claim to be Christians. Yes, they're kind and helpful and nice to be with, but some of them have dulled their consciences by accepting only part of God's word. I know I've said something about this on other programs, but many otherwise good and true people have not done their whole duty as it relates to their responsibility to God and his holy Ten Commandments. It seems to me that they've held back and not been totally honest with themselves or God. They say they love God, but deliberately avoid keeping the fourth commandment about the day of worship. To know what is right and to avoid doing it is as bad as deliberately sinning. There is a clear biblical definition of who God's true people are. It's found in Revelation 14, verse 12, where the Bible says about the saints, Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul wrote, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commandments is what counts. What God wants and what the world needs is people who are true, people who wholeheartedly do what God has required. Those who do keep the commandments don't lie, they don't cheat, they don't covet, they don't steal. They honour their Lord and are respectful of their fellow man. Let, you, let me remind you again of that opening quote. The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for right though the heavens fall. Such a man was the Apostle Paul. He wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The world is badly in need of people who, like Paul, have no reason to be ashamed. They do what is right. 
They don't need to hide their skeletons in the cupboard. They do not compromise truth and they do not twist God's word to suit themselves. My friends, I know some of you are aware of your own shortcomings and the fact that you've not yet come out and declared yourself as following all of God's word. Some of you have been holding back. Some of you know you should worship on the seventh day of the week, plus other things, to be in accordance with God's will. Isn't it about time you stopped avoiding your duty and come clean with God? Isn't it about time you responded positively to God's wanted poster? Well now, for the second application of the wanted theme in today's program. And that's this, God wants you. Yes, God wants you. There is a spiritual battle going on in the world today. There are two contenders in this battle, Christ and Satan. The battle is for your allegiance, in other words, for you to belong to Jesus Christ, who stands for good, or to belong to Satan, who stands for evil. If you belong to Jesus, the rewards are great. If you belong to Satan, the rewards are temporary because Satan himself is doomed for destruction. The modus operandi of Jesus is through love. The modus operandi of Satan is through deception and trickery. There are a number of parables in the Bible illustrating the kingdom of heaven. They're very special, but those parables are like exploring a multi-storied house. Level one, the ground floor, is the basic floor. But as in the parables, there are higher levels of understanding. And I want to share these parables, a couple of these parables with you now, just after the break. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine Heir of salvation, purchase of God Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy. Whispers of love This is my story This is my song 
praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long. The first parable I want to share with you today is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, where it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This parable is often explained this way. When someone finds truth and the love of God, he or she may be prepared to give up everything in order to become one of God's people. But we should seriously consider the following application. The merchant represents God. You are the pearl of great price. God has given up everything in order to have you as his treasured possession. So what did Jesus, that is God the Word, give up? He gave up his home in heaven, his glory, his position, his comforts, and came down here to earth endure suffering, disappointment, insults, and bad treatment, and eventually gave up his own life in order to gain you. But I'm not worth all that, you may say to yourself. In God's eyes you are, and that makes the difference. God loves you so very much. He thinks you're worth it. He places great value on you to the extent that, like the merchant selling everything he had, Jesus gave up everything he had for you. The other parable found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, is about the man who found treasure in a field and sold everything he had in order to buy that field and gain that treasure. It says much the same thing as the parable of the precious pearl. God chooses you and wants you to belong to him. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, God has made a statement which still applies today. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You may have noticed that God does not force. He attracts. Our positive response to him comes when we appreciate what he has done for us. When we realize that he is a beautiful friend. And when we realize that that he only wants to do good for us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 summarizes our response to God. It says, We love him 
because he first loved us. God doesn't need us. You see, he's God. Instead, he chooses us. He wants us. Usher Daya, a TV host now living and working in the United States, has made this insightful statement. Listen. She says, I would much rather be wanted than needed. I would much rather choose to be someone because they complement my life rather than fill a void that needs to be healed in other ways. You see, God doesn't need you. He wants you. And if that were not so, why would he sent, have sent Jesus on such a costly mission? When I think about this, I realize I am a privileged person to be wanted by the king of the universe. Now that's really something. There are plenty of illustrations in the Bible about God's efforts to seek out those who are true in heart, who choose to belong to him. There's the parable of the lost coin. There's the parable of the prodigal son. There's the illustration about the lost sheep and so on. But today I want to share with you another parable told by Jesus to illustrate God's efforts in drawing lost sinners to himself. The story is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. Again, the parable has different levels of understanding. Jesus said, One day a certain rich man made a great feast, to which he invited his neighbours and friends. When things were ready, he sent his servants out to tell those who had been invited to come now, because everything was ready for the celebration. But all those who had been invited started making up excuses, because they didn't want to stop what they were doing to come. One of them said, I, I just bought a piece of property and need to take another look at it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I need to hitch them up and try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come today. I'm sure you understand. Please excuse me. So the servants came back and told their master what his neighbours and friends had said. The rich man was terribly disappointed. Then he told his servants quickly, Go out into the streets and alleys of the city and invite anyone you see, the poor, the handicapped, those who can't walk and those who can't see. Soon his servants returned and said, Master, we did what you said, and there's still room. Then their master said, This time go outside the city into the country lanes and outlying communities 
and urge people to come so that my house may be full of guests. The rich man in the parable represents God. The servants represent those who belong to him, his followers. In the first instance, the invited guests represent the Jewish nation, which rejected Christ. The poor, the handicapped, the lame and the blind are the sinners, those who know not God. And those who are out in the country represent the Gentiles in other countries. The story illustrates God's efforts amongst all kinds of people to win them. Some of Jesus' last words said to his disciples just before he went back to heaven were, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what were his witnesses to do? They were to share with others that God wants them in his kingdom. They were to share about God's love, goodness and grace. They were to share that God values each and every person and does not want them to perish. They were to share how God, to back up his claims of goodness and mercy, through Jesus, no less than God himself, came and gave his own perfect life as a ransom for our own imperfect lives. They were to share that God wants the companionship of man forever, and he's made preparations that God and man may exist together in harmony for eternity. And those disciples carried out what they were commissioned to do. But ever since, God has placed a duty upon all his followers to do the same, to share that we pitiful human beings are greatly loved by the Creator of the universe. To share this with others is a privilege as well as a duty. And that's why, dear listeners, these Give Me the Bible programs exist. I want you to know that you are loved and wanted. We're nearing the end for today, but in summary for this program, the two main issues we've covered are, firstly, that good, honest, faithful, trustworthy people are badly wanted in this sick and dying world. Secondly, and most importantly, God wants you personally, despite what you may think of yourself. He's made provision for your cleansing from sin and he's made provision for your eternal existence. Now, have you received an invitation from Queen Elizabeth to come to Buckingham Palace and spend some time with her? I wonder what you'd do. 
but an even greater invitation has been given to you from the ruler of the universe that he desires your company and he wants you to stay forever. And that's the reality of it. God wants you. Will you respond to his invitation or will you ignore it? I hope so much that you will say, Yes, Lord. It's now time to stop. May God bless you, my friends, and fill you with hope and joy and peace as you make your decision for him.